<laughs> hello, hello, Ollie. I'm rather full of curry, Ollie. Me too. <laughs> We've had Me a curry, too. haven't we? We've had a curry. We're in the same place. Yes. We're full of curry. And we're here to babble your little ears off. Welcome to Sustainable number 58. We are your friendly little environment podcast full of beans, or I am anyway, and lentils. Um, and we are here to talk about people and the planet and why it's all so confusing. And what have we got coming up this week? Oh, the Queen is going to feature in our our, uh, our babble this week because uh, the Queen is is, is is at fault for something. Um, also, some people who do chemicals, possibly brothers who do chemicals oh, for <laughs> for the pesticide companies are, are also in our, our crosshairs. You know, chemical brothers and and Queen. Also, um, we're going to be looking at not earth or, or fire, but wind. <laughs> <laughs> wind and fire, because uh, some wind turbines are killing all the puffins. Um, and finally, uh, we're going to be looking at a new model army of climate inaction figures. Uh, this has actually happened. There are little models of people like Jim Inhofe. It's very exciting. So, did you spot my theme? Yes. Very good. Are you not a little bit impressed? <laughs> yeah, I am, I am faintly impressed. You did warn me this was the most tenuous one yet. Just the usual disclaimer before we get started. We do work for environmental charities, but these are very much our own views. Uh, the stupid ones are roles. Um, so any, any questions, any problems, do take it up with us, but not with anyone that we work for. Yes? Very good. Right. On we babble. <laughs> sustainable of the week this is the section we're doing at the beginning for once uh just like how we always used to where we have a look at the egregious eco guff that has been spoken usually by people trying to sound green but not really succeeding this week dave well tell me what is your favorite national park in the arctic circle uh well oh my favorite national park in the arctic circle is the Oh, Viankiapa. Viankiapa, which is a stunning 65 square kilometres, brackets, 25 square mile habitat for 21 endangered bird species. I can tell it's your favourite, Dave. It is. We are, we are talking uh, about a very special area, which is not going to be special anymore if Anglo-American, the big mining company, have their way. Uh, because it looks like this week... Um, well, this is an issue which we've talked about, we think, before, but curry's gone to our brain and we can't remember if this is true. But this is all about biodiversity offsetting. Biodiversity what setting? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. <laughs> the whole idea that if you want to, for instance, dig up a forest, it's okay if you plant some equivalent trees somewhere else. Ah, yes. So this is like me coming round to your house and going into your garden and getting out my axe and chopping down your trees and trampling all your begonias and euphemism 
No. And uh, planting horrible things in your lawn. And then you come home from work and you're all like, dude, seriously, WTF? And I go, it's all right, mate. Don't worry about it. Because there's another bit of grass 600 miles from here that I'm going to put begonias in. So it's the same. So you haven't lost anything. Don't worry yeah. about it. What are you yeah, complaining that's, about? That's basically. the basic Equivalent idea, value. Yeah. Exchangeable ecosystem services. Beg your pardon? Yes, you heard. Uh, so that's this is what it's all about. The concept biodiversity offsetting is a thing. It is a wheeze. It is a wheeze that has been around for a while. And the argument goes, well, if a species is worth X, like if an owl is worth one, and <laughs> like we, we don't want that owl anymore because it's in the way of some money, right? Then as long as we make something worth one somewhere else, or maybe even 1.1, then it's all right. So, like, if a chaffinch is worth 0.5, then I can, then you can kill your owl as long as you bring two chaffinches somewhere else in the world that wouldn't otherwise have been there. It's what it's biodiversity offsetting. It's a thing, and it's not some crazy ass thing that a mad person dreamed up. Well, I mean, it is, but it's actually happening. It, it's a thing. It's a yeah. ruse. It has it has quite a lot of sort of credence, isn't it? People, there are committees. Uh, isn't there a UK government uh, thing? <laughs> commission UK government thing or, or something what doesn't Dieter Helm run the bio- there, well, there's a thing called the Natural Capital Committee oh yeah which is uh, so natural. this is what's behind all of this wheeze is natural capital which is a thing we have talked we have about, talked about we have talked about that way back at the start I think episode 3 or something like that um, where a natural capital is the idea that you can put a financial value on what nature gives us right and it's got its roots in something fairly sensible, which is to go the economy doesn't really take into account what we get from nature because it's not like money, so it ignores it. So therefore, we just chop down all the trees, and when all the trees are gone, we uh, do something else, right? And the idea goes, well, actually, that does have some sort of value, and we can have a guess at what that is. And then once you've got that value, it then figures that as long as you're doing something that doesn't decrease the total value of nature in the world, then you're doing all right. Thus, it is all right to chop an owl's block off as long as you get two chaffinches down the road. I know a cracking owl sanctuary. (laughs) How about it? Unless you can think of anything better. So where does the babble come in? Well, the babble comes in uh, because this place in Finland, my favourite uh, bird species, Arctic Circle environmental place. What's which it called, is Dave? Called Your favourite? Vian- look at me. Vian- look, at, look at me. Vian- <laughs> Exactly. Yes. Yes. Um, that uh, has got some platinum, some nickel, some copper, and some gold up its bum, and <laughs> a mining company wants to come and enamorise it. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, you say some funny things when you've had a lot of curry. Uh, yes, this is the classic, classic problem of beautiful place turns out to be sitting on top of valuable things. Oh, but it is beautiful. I'm looking at some pictures of it, and there's all these statistics. This is on our favourite uh, environmental news source, The Guardian, which talks about the 90 bird species that live there, including pygmy owls. Pygmy owls! Pygmy owls! Oh. And broad-billed sandpipers, whatever that is. I think that's a euphemism as well. Um, and all sorts of stuff like that. Yes, this is a very, very beautiful place, and 
as with most places in the Arctic Circle, presumably has been kind of existing unbothered for quite some time with with people living there who are very much connected to uh, the, their surroundings and the environment. And, um, well, that isn't what the big mining company Anglo-American wants to happen for much longer. They want to dig up the oil, uh, the nickel and gold and copper and whatever else is there. Uh, so... Okay, that's fairly standard. These things happen all the time. But what is interesting about this is that they have employed a, uh, well, a quite a sort of he-co-e sort of sounding charity called Flora and Fauna International uh, to basically go and tell them how much the beautiful ruffs and pygmy owls and lovely plants are worth in order that they can biodiversity offset them and then everyone can dig up stuff and the people can bugger off. And, um, well, this is what uh, Pippa Howard, the Director of Business and Biodiversity at Flora and Fauna International, had to say. We are opposed to extraction in protected areas and do not promote it. But where such activities are taking place with the support of host government governments, one makes sure that best environmental practice is being applied. We, yeah, we, we are opposed to extraction in protected areas and, and don't promote it, apart from when we're paid to promote it's it and, <laughs> and it's in a protected area. Oh, dear. Oh dear, that's a shame, isn't it? Um, you know, and <laughs> where such activities are taking place with the support of host governments? Oh, because host governments have always got the best interests of the most beautiful, biodiverse, species-rich places at heart. I'm not sure I like the cut of Pippa Howard's jib here. And I have to say, I feel a bit funny about doing this because, you know, Flora and Flora International, what little I know about them is that they are a good thing. They do lots of good, useful things. Good so on the flora and the fauna. They and international in their outlook. Uh, so I'd imagine uh, they are not usual babble fodder, but it is... It is a bit of a sort of nexus of weird, isn't it? The whole Anglo-American flora and fauna and... The Queen. Oh yeah, so imagine, imagine Stephen Fry and David Attenborough. They <laughs> all, uh, it's all, it's their faults basically. Uh, so this big, uh, big thing about we were going to put the Queen in Inhoff Corner, but I didn't have the guts because I understand you get your block knocked off for that, and it was bad enough when I put Stephen Hawking in Inhoff Corner, and I got <laughs> very scared that bad things would happen to me. But they have these uh, FFI Flora and Fauna International have these patrons, and the patrons, the Queen and Fry and Attenborough, have all been basically appealed to by the people that live in the national park, and are all upset about getting their reindeer fiddled with. And, and they're saying, do you know, uh, your Madge, that you are endorsing this horrible thing, right? So it's all very controversial. So the uh, to two arguments, basically, biodiversity offsetting, is it all right to go into a place and to uh, test how horrible it is? And if it is horrible, just recreate something somewhere else? I don't think it is, because I don't think you can do that properly. No. Well, what, what is being proposed here, uh, apparently there's some research has, has been done already by Flora and Flora International, I think. Uh, and it includes an assessment, says The Guardian, of whether equivalent land could be offered as compensation for wetlands damaged by the extraction of massive deposits of blah, blah, blah. And it's just obviously not. Which equivalent land? What, the car park in Slough? 
Or where, where? you know, America? So um, the other thing that's a bit rum about this is a person called Joanna Cantonen Van Riet. Oh, I know the one. Yeah, yeah you yeah. know, old Joe, Joe Bags, Joe, Joe, Joe. <laughs> Joe Bags. <laughs> Joe Bags. <laughs> something else. Um, who is Anglo-American's environmental lead in Finland. And she said that once a project has been found which is rich in mineral deposits, the reality is that if we, Anglo-American, walked away, someone else is 110% sure... Ah, oh, she a football commentator. <laughs> ...to come and take our place. So the argument is, uh, we are of the mining companies. We are more environmentally responsible than other ones. Uh, someone's going to come mine this stuff, so it's better that it's us, right? Um, and this argument is used, this is such horsey plop, this is used by the UK government, it's used by anyone who basically wants to do a bad thing, has a, you know, some sort of worse person to point to, and says, they are, look, we're, we're better than them, so we'll come and do it, like when the UK government gives huge amounts of taxpayers' money to build things like refineries in Vietnam, which it does through a thing called the UK Export and Credits Agency. Um, and it you says, with your knowledge. Yeah, I know this, and it says that, um, yeah, we know that building petrochemical plants in Vietnam is a bit, you know, odd. But uh, if we don't do it, the Chinese will. And they're gits because they're foreign. So it's better that we do it. I mean, that's the sort of line of reasoning that can win a shit argument in a pub. But it's not a principled position, is it? This punching in the face I'm going to do, sure, it's going to hurt, but at least I'll be wearing the correct gloves. Whereas the next... if we If I step away from this, you know, someone might come in wearing knuckle dusters. So... Really, you should take the punch in the face and be grateful. Be grateful? What are you talking about, Vian Chiappa, with your reindeer and you're all upset about things? Shut up. If, if we don't come and drill your platinum and get the copper out of your bottom and turn <laughs> your reindeer into trainers, then someone else is going to come along and they'll do it and they won't be nice about it. So shut up and listen and let us in. That's what they're saying. Yeah. It's stupid. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's okay. Well, uh, that means that uh, Flora and Flora International, David Attenborough, Stephen Fry, the Queen, are all bastards. Oh, God. <laughs> and they, this really should be in half corner, but they're, they're lucky they got away with it and they're just in sustainable babble of the week because this biodiversity offsetting, this kind of if we don't do it, someone worse will do it. It's all bulls. Leave the reindeer alone. Leave the nickel in the bottom. Leave the... Pig the owl, for goodness sake, and just sod off. Go away. Thank you. Sustainable babble of the week. So sustainable of the... Hang on a minute. Hold on. We, we've done this. What the... We've got another picking? one. Oh, my we've heavens. We've got another one. Sustainable babble too. This <laughs> time it's personal. Because you woke up in the morning with initiative to move, so I make it harder. Don't hold back. Yes, there has been a story about bees. Oh, I love Brentford. So, so pleased we finally get to talk about Brentford Football Club on this podcast. I never get a chance to talk about them. We had a great start to the season. Thank you for mentioning it. Two wins and a defeat. And that first one was against a highly fancied Huddersfield Town, who are managed by David Wagner, formerly Jurgen Klopp's right-hand man. So actually, it's not a bad start to the season. Where does the babble come in? Have you any idea how many listeners you've just lost us? <laughs> Half of them. <laughs> I'm sure he'll come back. <laughs> 
We are not talking about the bees of Brentford. We are talking about the bees of nature, actual bees, fluffy, hairy bees, uh, which are lovely and pollinate all of our crops and make delicious honey, some of them, although there are about 238 species of bee in the UK. Did you know that, Dave? Bee sick. That's what honey is. It is bee sick. It is the sick of bees. What happens is a bee eats something and it sicks it up. And then Dave, you just, pay £7.50 for a bucket Dave, of bee sick. Dave, and you're all like Dave, frill bags. Dave. Hello. Millicent vegan rant. <laughs> Don't use pigs and insults. Animals are innocent. Don't be speciesist. Never use the name of an animal as an insult for a human. Right, we're talking about bees, uh, and they are in trouble. There are lots of the bee species in this country and in Europe and around the world are in decline. There are lots of reasons, but increasingly everyone is clear that uh, one of the main reasons is pesticides, what farmers use, such that even the European Union went and banned the Yerp. Do you remember Yerp? No. No, it's a bit like George Osborne, the thing of the past. Uh, Exactly. Machine Rambo Osborne. Did you see that? Oh, yeah, Rambo Osborne. Is there any sort of clip we can play of that, or is it just... Uh, Yeah, I think there's a video. Now, I know this requires quite a lot of trust in an audio format, but that was the sound of George Osborne firing a machine gun in Vietnam on holiday. Yeah, amazing. Um, How did we get onto Osborne again? Uh, Europe, George Osborne, things that don't exist anymore. Right. Europe, before it deleted itself, uh, passed a a bit of law saying you can't use these neonicotinoid pesticides, which have been linked uh, to knocking up the bees basically hi dave what's a neonicotinoid i don't know it's it's a it's i a, suspected <laughs> this may have been the case it's a group of pesticides there are three neonicotinoid pesticides in particular that have been banned uh gareth, they, gareth neonicotinoid shirley neonicotinoid and marmaduke neonicotinoid <laughs> yeah i think so uh the all my siblings obviously obviously yeah. Yeah. Uh, th- they have been banned and uh since they've been banned the evidence has strengthened basically and what has happened is that a new report has come out by the center for ecology and hydrology classic reporting team uh to look at the kind of long-term impacts of these pesticides and they said it's all really really bad really bad Dave, help me out. What else have they said? (laughs) They said it's all really, really bad. And I think what we should do is everyone likes bees. Bees are nice. Bees are full of fun. And everyone's talking about bees. And I reckon we should do... I reckon we should do a feature, a proper thing about bees, go talk to a bee expert. So I don't think we should bang on about bees, right? But all you really need to know is that uh, they've been having a look at where neonicotinoids have been sprayed. And they've been sprayed in huge amounts, so in sort of vast quantities over agricultural land. And, and where they're, they're not in a point of order. Yes. They're not really sprayed. Oh, what are they then? Well, you treat the seed and then it's in the whole crop as it grows. So it's not sprayed at all? Then? No. Right. I like the way you're trying to make this my mistake. <laughs> you're, <I'm>, you're an <laughs> idiot. I'm correcting you. you. Do it properly. Yeah, you can't uh, even correct me properly. I hate you. Carry on. 
<laughs> anyway, where these neonicotinoids have been used in industrial quantities in, in, in agriculture, there has been a decline in the population of bees of about 10%, which the researchers say that is attributable to the pesticide use. <laughs> right? Um, and uh, some of them as much as 30% decline. So basically, the researchers say half of the decline in bees that we've seen could be linked to the use of these things. And what they've done is research and they've got some facts oh, now. Right. Well, that's case closed then, isn't it? Well, hmm. Oh, well, just, just, does somebody disagree, Dave? Yeah, so... Do the people who make the chemical pesticide nastiness disagree, Dave? Yeah. Arabella, what, what does Dr. Julian Little from Bayer Crop Science have to say? Since most of the oilseed rape grown in the UK was treated with a neonicotinoid seed treatment during the years that this study looked at, we believe its findings would be more correctly headlined in that intensive agriculture is causing some issues with the pollinators. Oh, that's novel, isn't it? So, Bayer Crop Science, those bastions of small-scale, organic, extensive farming, uh, are saying that really the big problem here is intensive agriculture, mm. not, not the chemicals that they make. No. Mm. So what they're, what they're saying is basically, hey, it's not our fault. The, the problem here is because, all right, admittedly our chemical is being used in industrial quantities and in intensive agriculture, but if you weren't doing that intensive agriculture, then you wouldn't need the chemicals. And so it's not exactly our fault, is it? Don't blame us, Gov. Go look somewhere else. Causation is not correlation or whatever it is. That's what they say. Yeah, apart from the whole study saying... It is correlation. It is. It, the ability No, it of, is causation. <laughs> I always get that wrong. The ability of uh, people who have a very large financial vested interest in a thing to come out and say, well, let's not be, let's not be so hasty here. Let's not jump to any conclusions. You know, smoking doesn't necessarily cause cancer. Everyone calm down. Everyone You're calm being hysterical. Down. You're being a bunch of tits, right? And their ability to do that in the face of researchers with facts saying, <laughs> we've looked at this and we hear some research and some facts that says you are killing bees. And for them to come out and say, it might not be that. It might be the other thing. It's like uh, Coca-Cola. If this happened, this hasn't happened. This is a fictional example. Please don't sue us, Coca Cola. But if it did happen, yes, and the Queen and Stephen Fry (laughs) and David Attenborough, um, if the uh, if Coca Cola were to be accused of making kids fat, well, you could quite easily turn around and say, "Hey, it's not our fault. Everyone likes fizzy drinks. Blame it on all the fizzy drinks. It's not our fault." Dave, 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 yes, yes, Dave, this is the Dave, yes, this is the best Dave, yes, this is the best Inhoff ever. Who is it? It's actually Inhoff, and it, and it's listen to this. Tired of the same old boring action figures? Want to enter an amazing world of make believe and fantasy? Yeah, time for climate in action figures. Yay! Inhoff, McConnell. Cruz, Christie, Trump, Palin. Texas Senator Ted Cruz. He'll hold up legislation in the Science Committee for sure. 
Climate change is just a distraction. What in the name of smoked potatoes is that? What's going on? They've made anti-action heroes on of, of Inhofe and, and Donald Trump and... <laughs> And they've got weapons, and like the Inhofe has got a spike snowball. <laughs> I'm choking. I'm so excited. It's amazing. So this is um this is this thing. It actually came out a few weeks ago. You're right. <laughs> Genuinely excited. Look, carry on. So anyway, what this is? This is a uh, takes a bit of working out to see what's going on. This actually happened uh, about a month ago. This came out, but I only noticed it now because it's in America, and I don't notice things in America. And there is a whole bunch of People in America who are basically climate gits. They've probably, many of them have appeared in Inhofe Corner over the years. Inhofe Corner being, of course, that part of the podcast where we put the irritants. Uh, Jim Inhofe, who is an American senator who thinks that climate change is not real because there's still snow, is irritant in chief. So we named the section after him. And he and some other irritants like Chris Christie and Ted Cruz and Sarah Palin and the Koch brothers who fund it all and Donald Trump, who's soon going to rule it all, um, they've made action figures of them and like and 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 like it's great who has who's made action well figures ah, of them? yes good okay i'm glad you asked me that so the website behind it is this thing called climatesolutions.com which is all about making a case for why you should put a price on a ton of carbon so it's more expensive so that polluting things don't happen so much right um and it doesn't immediately tell you who's behind that it's a very nice pretty looking website as indeed all the inhofe figures are all very nice and pretty as well and very nicely done um you track it all the way back and i think behind it is the team that put together this thing called the years of living dangerously which is this american series of documentaries where they sort of uh, they got like famous people to investigate in 60 minutes a particular aspect of what climate change is doing to the world proper cracking actually very very good very high i have to say i have not heard of it Uh, well yeah but that's because you don't hear of things (laughs) um but but they um it's yeah, very well done, very high production values, lots of money behind it. And I think this is yet, you know, the same team doing something creative. Okay. But that explains the, the slickness of the uh, advert and the beautiful website. Um, but all that is to say, I mean, well, hang on, shouldn't they be a little bit clearer about who they are? Because, I mean, we did have a bit of a dig around for quite some time trying to work out who had done this. And if it was bad people saying bad things and they were being that untransparent about it we would probably be a bit cross we, we, we would but they're the good guys so we can have double standards and anyway Excellent. so the Inhofe <laughs> well, of glad. the Inhofe so the Inhofe of the week is for a beautiful change Jim Inhofe plastic Jim Inhofe plastic Jim Inhofe yeah. and his spiky snowball of death in Inhofe corner Inhofe which you were already but stay in there and be roundly spanked in the plastic bottom So, reasons to be cheerful. Reason to be cheerful is we've done Queen, we've done the Chemical Brothers, we've done the New Model Army, whoever they are. Oh, come off here. You must have heard them. Oh, anyway, it doesn't matter. You're only six. <laughs> and now we're doing Earth, Wind and Fire. This is, oh, good Lord, this is <laughs> You're the welcome. very exciting. Do we get Sony Awards for uh, podcasts? 
I mean, presumably, if we do, we will, if you see what I mean. The, some people <laughs> do get awards for podcasts. Great. Yes. I look forward Th- to that. That is a thing some people get. <laughs> uh, there is a new wind farm, what has been given approval, planning approval, um, and it is galumphingly great and massive. 300 turbines, right, which is a lot. That makes it the world's biggest EVs wind farm and it'll be in a place called Hornsey Bay which is off the coast of Yorkshire right and it's massive 1.8 gigawatts of power which is well I mean that's a lot isn't it well it is a lot uh so most of the UK's nuclear power stations that are currently operating are about one gigawatt so this what, is in total Huh? No, each one, oh, right. Sorry, each nuclear good. power station is roughly equivalent to about a, a gigawatt. Uh, Hinkley C, C episode 56, yeah. uh, is going to be bigger than that, about four to five gigawatts. But um, that gives you a sense of the scale of this thing. And it is, I mean, Hornsey 1, which is uh, its predecessor, obviously, is already, I think, the biggest offshore wind turbine uh, farm in the world. And this Hornsey 2 is going to be even bigger. Something like the size of the entire city of Hull. And I've, I don't think I've been to Hull, but it's a city, so it must be quite big. That is true. Um, and it is unambiguously brilliant news. Unless <laughs> you are the RSPB, the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, who, in a fairly dramatic move, have said this is not good news. Uh, they said it will be, I think, devastating. Yes, it will result in unnecessary death. Who's going to be unnecessarily dead as a result of this uh, wind farm turbine thing we jig, Dave? Puffins. Oh, minced oh, puffins. No. Puffins are going to get minced, as are gannets, uh. as are kitty wakes, which are endangered. Um, and the reason being, they fly there, innit? They like that's where they fly. They fly. Do puffins fly? Yes, absolutely. They yeah, fly. fine. There we are. Yeah, I'm just I checking. was on the Isle of Lunga, just off Mull in the Hebrides, a couple of months ago, right up in the face of some puffins, and it was lovely. It was beautiful. I think they even had quite a nice time. Um, oh dear, what, uh, this is bad, isn't it? We don't want to kill the puffins or the kitty wakes or the the other ones. Tricky, isn't it? I'm going to ask you what you think about this. What do you think about this? Because why? why so here's the so here's what the, you think about it. Because I don't know what I think about it. Because uh, no. it's tricky. Well, I do know what I think about it, which is it isn't ideal to desiccate a puffin, right? That is not <laughs> what one really wants to do with one's energy policy, right? But it's if you said to me, would you rather desiccate a few puffins? I don't think we're talking about a lot of puffins or guillemots or kitty I think, yeah, I think they or use, razor bills. They use the word hundreds. Hundreds, yeah. Which is more, it's more puffins than I would ideally desiccate, right? <laughs> um, but if I was, if you said to me, would you like to desiccate a puffin or would you like to have global climate change that will destroy all life on Earth, then I'd have to think a bit carefully about it, wouldn't I? Right? And I know that's a bit of a false choice, but the uh, I don't think it's possible to build energy, to build anything on that sort of scale and have like, no impact on wildlife at all. And I don't know, it's worth pointing out, I don't know to what extent the RSPB are right or wrong about this. I'm just taking their objection at yeah. face value, right? Because if, if I was a gilly mot or a kitty hawk or a razor bill or a puffin and there was a galumphin great eco-crucifix spinning round in my way, I'd probably try and go around it. But then again, you know, there's one of the many reasons I'm not a puffin. <laughs> 
Good. Well, thank you for that insight. Um, oh, is, yes, I think that's a slightly tricky argument, isn't it? Because uh, what is the the choice between climate change and death for everybody, or this particular enormous wind farm in this particular place? I mean, pr- presumably there are other options, and I find it I'm confused because the RSPB have whose members a lot of their members want them to oppose. Uh, wind farms in general because they do kill the odd bird here and there but the RSPB have been quite robust in saying look the biggest threat to bird life is climate change and one of the ways that we have to tackle climate change is to have less fossil fuel electricity and more renewable electricity so we support wind turbines when they're in the right place and I guess you know they are just saying here look they're too big they are in the wrong place there's too many of them uh, so no, but mm. but it is mm, it is a funny one, isn't it? And I ah uh, we we are going to need these sorts of scale of renewable energy projects, particularly if we've got a government that's saying you can't have onshore wind, you can't have solar. Uh, you're gonna you know all the other stuff is proving too hard and too expensive, like wave and tidal. Uh, they're not going to build a nuclear power station, whatever you think of that. See episode, previous one, where we talk about nuclear. 56, you just told, that, I told you that a minute ago. Didn't yeah, but we talked about nuclear before that oh, in general, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look at you and your curry brain. Uh, so it's tricky. Uh, what what are you going to have? Obviously, you could also have massive investment to cut energy use and therefore you wouldn't need to build all this new stuff at all. So, hang on, there is another good thing, which I think a good thing, which has come out of this, which is that there were previously uh, in the planning application some concerns raised about the noise and the effect that that would have on porpoises because it being 55 miles off the coast, there are porpoises around. Dave, hello. Will the noise be made accidentally? Or will it be on porpoise? Oh, oh, come back, all. Oh, 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 <laughs> shit. <laughs> right, I'm back now. I've calmed down a bit. I'm still quite cross. What I was trying to say was, oh, I just hate you. What I was trying to say was that the porpoises who are apparently going to be disturbed by the building of these massive wind turbines have now been given a special area of conservation, which is mahusive and means that they're going to have a better home. Now, that wouldn't have happened unless this wind farm was being built. So screw you in every possible way sideways screw you with a 300 meter wind turbine in the north sea in front of porpoises <laughs> so that is just about it for sustainable 58 how could you? How can you forget in the forty minutes before? How can you forget that? How is it possible that falls out of your head? How you, you know me well enough to know 
that that is how my brain works or doesn't work. I just I struggle with numbers, words, thoughts, and and deeds. Otherwise, I'm fine. Right, that is it for, for Sustainable Fifty Eight. Uh, another one in the can. Thank you very much, Dave, for coming around my house, eating my curry, and insulting me for half an hour on the radio. More than welcome. Uh, pleasure, pleasure to do it to your face for once. <laughs> Thank you as as ever to my now. <gasps> what did we? I can't believe we forgot this. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Arabella. Happy birthday to you. Seven-year-old me. Arabella is seven. Uh, she, depending on when you are listening to this, she may have turned seven. But it's certainly around the time this episode. Well, actually, point up. of order. It's possible when you're listening to this, she might be eight or nine or ten or eleven. That's true. If the robots haven't got us in four years' time, and you can still get this on the internet. The point is, Arabella, who until now has been my six-year-old niece. Well, I think well no, that's not true. She's only been oh, a six-year-old shut up. niece. Until now, on this podcast, she has been my five- and six-year-old niece, is now officially my seven-year-old niece. Happy, ba- uh, happy birthday, Arabella. Hope you had a lovely, lovely day. Thank you, as ever, for your wonderful, courageous, indefatigable babbling. Very good, and thank you as always to the legendary Dickie Moore, whose music starts, ends and intertwinkles this here podcast. You can get in touch with us and tell us what you think of all of our guff. You can find us on Twitter at the Babblewagon. You can email us at hello at sustainababble.fish. Or you can just find us on Facebook by doing a little search for Sustainababble. And do leave us a review on your podcast medium of choice if you like what you hear, but if you don't, then don't. Thanks. Right, that's it. I'm off to get me one of those excellent climate inaction Jim Inhofe figures. I cannot wait. Bye! Bye!